going to start by reading in Isaiah chapter 6. And so if you've got your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 6. All right, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken, from, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go. Let's stop right there. Let me just pray one more time. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you, God, that you would speak through me today. Help us to hear a fresh message from you, Lord. Help us to see your truth communicated here in your word, God, and allow it to go forth in a way that transforms and changes lives. Allow me to decrease while you increase, God. I can do nothing without you. Holy Spirit, move in this place today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we have this awesome story here in the book of Isaiah, which is a vision that God actually gives Isaiah, a vision of the throne room in heaven. And what I want to do is I want to approach this this morning where we look at this and we see what a glorious picture of a man who is being sent on a divine calling with a, di- a divine destiny looks like. And as we do that, I want you to think about your own self, your own life, and I want you to allow, ask the Lord to really speak to you and, and show you things because all of us who are called according to God have a purpose, have a divine calling, have a destiny that he has prepared and planned for us. In order to do that, we have to move into it, right? We have to be sent by God to step into that. Moving into a calling is not a matter of us actually staying where we are. It's a matter of us moving and going into something greater and something 
uh, more glorious. And so I read these scriptures and I see a man who's being sent by God on a divine mission for a divine purpose. And it, and it inspires me and it speaks to me and says that we all are called to be movers. We are all called to go for the Lord into places, into areas, into things where he can use us to do a great and mighty work, right? And so I want to know when, when, when I'm being sent, I want to look at people like Isaiah who were sent and who went in obedience and did amazing things, and I want to learn whatever it is that I can from them. And so just a little bit about the backdrop of the story. First of all, Isaiah, he was a prophet uh, to the nation of, of Israel or Judah, and he served for about 50 years as a prophet. He was one of the most incredibly influential voices of the Old Testament times, prophetically speaking. And he talked about the coming destruction of the temple and the Babylonian captivity that would befall upon Israel. He prophesied about that, that if Israel didn't turn away from their wicked ways and turn back to God, that, you know, that people were going to come and conquer them and that they were going to be put into bondage. And so he spent his whole career, if you will, as a prophet trying to warn Israel about all of these things. And interestingly enough, he actually died before that Babylonian captivity ended up taking place. He, he died before the actual happening of those events occurred. And it happened not long after his death. So everything that he talked about came to pass. He also prophesied a lot about the coming of the Messiah. He talked about in his, in his prophecies the first coming of the Messiah, which we know is when Jesus came down on earth through the virgin birth and he walked the earth and then he died on the cross. Uh, Isaiah prophesied about a lot of those things and he was accurate in every one of those prophecies. But there's also prophecies in the book of Isaiah that, that, uh, that lead to the, the second coming of Christ, which is still yet to come, right? And so we see all of these accurate in, in, uh, prophecies and all of these accurate descriptions of events for the Babylonian captivity and then for the first coming of Christ that all happened, that are all there. And we still have these prophecies from Isaiah that are yet to come about the second coming of Christ. And so it's an incredibly uh, accurate book, a very studied book, especially now for when Jesus will return. Um, and Isaiah was one of those voices that was like a political and a religious voice to the nation. And one of the things I think about is how all through time, by God's design, we have always needed godly men and or women to be able to bring uh, a voice of influence politically and religiously to our nation, right? We'll never be void from that. I mean, God's created it where we have political leaders, we have military leaders, but we have always needed to have wise counsel, godly counsel from men and women who are influenced by the Lord. And Isaiah was one of those people. But uh, history says, this, this isn't actually in the Bible, but historical writings indicate that he was eventually martyred and killed under King Manasseh uh, by being cut in two with a wooden saw. Pretty sucky way to die. Yeah, <clears throat> um, but he was cut in two by a wooden saw according to, to ancient tradition. He served through four different kings. All right, so, so that's a little backdrop on Isaiah. And in the beginning of, these, of this text, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died. 
So King Uzziah was like the first king in that tenure for, for Isaiah when he kicked off his prophetic ministry. And uh, King Uzziah, he was a guy that, that started off strong. He actually had a good run at the beginning of his kingship. Uh, he did a lot of good things for the nation. And eventually toward the latter part, he began to, to sort of fall apart. Um, in the end, he went into the temple and only the high priest was allowed to go in and burn incense in the temple. But King Uzziah, out of his own pride and his own arrogance, decided that he was worthy and that he didn't care. And he went into the temple and decided to do it anyway. And he ended up being struck with leprosy. And, and he, was, uh, he suffered from leprosy up until his death. He was no longer to able to really fulfill the requirements of being a king after that. And so under his rule... Israel, uh, Judah actually became very strong economically from a military standpoint, from an from a, uh, economic standpoint. They prospered and they thrived very much. But, however, at the same time, they began to decay spiritually. Does that remind you of something, maybe a time, right? Where there's prosperity in certain places but at the same time, there's spiritual decay and spiritual decline among the people. And we know that that's obviously what's most important and, and, and primary to God, right? Is prominent to God is the spiritual condition of, of his people. And so, so that was a little bit about King uh, Uzziah. And so when we open up in chapter 6 with this vision, it's actually... The, the beginning of Isaiah's ministry, but chapters 1 through 5 happen after chapter 6. So he starts out giving a bunch of prophecies and speaking to the nation in chapters 1 through 5, but then in chapter 6 he kind of stops and goes back to here's how it all started. So that's a little bit about the backdrop, and that's where we enter into the story. And so the first thing that I want to kind of dive into is that in preparation for Isaiah's calling for this divine assignment that he was getting ready to go on, God reveals this amazing, glorious vision to him of the throne room in heaven. It's the picture of the king says he is sitting on the throne and he is high and lifted up. So a big part of this vision that God gives to Isaiah is to help prepare him for the lifelong mission that he's about ready to go on. And so it's like kind of what I would refer to as an open vision. It's not a dream. This is an actual vision that God gives him. It's like Imagine you may be a little uh, sort of unconscious to what's going on around you and you begin to see kind of an open vision that God is un unveiling before your eyes. And in this vision, he sees the throne room of heaven. There's other accounts of visions of the throne room of heaven. Ezekiel had one. John in the book of Revelation had one. And while there are some differences in the descriptions, there also are some similarities. But there is a glorious picture here, folks, and I want to invite you to gaze into this with me today because this is a holy picture, a glorious picture of what the throne room in heaven actually looks like that Isaiah is seeing. He says, first of all, that the Lord is sitting high on the throne. He's high and lifted up and that the train of his robe fills the temple. 
So imagine that the robe is just draping all through the temple. And it says that there is smoke that fills the temple as well. So the glory of God is so thick in this place that there's just like smoke that's constantly through here. And, and Jesus is on the throne. It says he's high and lifted up. And then we see this picture here of the, of the Holy of Holies, which is where Isaiah is, is looking into. Um, in the book of Revelation, John talks a little bit about this, and he says that he who's sitting on the throne is like a stone of jasper and of sardius, which jasper is like a diamond, and sardius is like a deep red. It's like a perfect stone and diamond with this red to it. It's like that's what Jesus sitting on the throne looks like. It says that there is a rainbow wrapped around the throne that resembles like an emerald. Now, I don't know about you, but I was outside yesterday after that rain came through. I saw an awesome picture. There were two rainbows. Did anybody see the rainbow yesterday after rain? It was amazing. We were out there taking pictures. The kids were taking pictures. There was this great big one. You could see it on both sides. And then there was a second one over the top of it that was a little bit lighter. And it was just like, it was heavenly almost, you know? But listen, it was nothing compared to what John talks about, where this this rainbow that's enveloping the throne right there where Jesus is sitting on. It's like an emerald stone. And it says in front of the throne, there is a sea of glass that proceedeth forth that look like crystal. So Isaiah is peering into this picture, this glorious picture. And then it says here that there are seraphim, which are angelic creatures, that are standing on both sides of the king, and that they're singing, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. So they're crying out and they're, they're, they're speaking, uh, they're worshiping the king who is on the throne, these angelic creatures. It says they have six wings. Interesting, and we're going to talk about this, but it says two of the wings cover the feet, two of the wings cover the eyes, and two of the wings fly. It says when they speak, all of the doorposts in the temple begin to shake. Their, their speaking is like thundering. When they fly, according to Ezekiel, the sound of their wings are like a mighty army, like crashing waves of an ocean. And here you've got these six winged creatures, these angelic seraphim that are standing above the throne and they're just worshiping the king of kings who is on the throne. Why are they two feet covered, the two eyes covered, and the two wings are flying? Isaiah's about ready to get sent on a mission. He's about ready to go into a 50-year calling that is not going to be an easy one, to say the least. A picture of what we see is that in order to really walk in God's calling for our lives, two feet covered, two eyes covered. These are signs of humility. They are signs of worship. While two wings are actually engaged in flying and moving. Folks, if we're to walk fully in our calling, we can't get these things backwards. We have to understand that our heart, our posture, our behavior, everything. We have to treat the worship of God, 
the, the, the humility of be, being before a holy God and, a, and in, on a divine call, we have to be most prominent in our worship and staying in a place of worship all through our time of serving the Lord and, and serving and doing and going out in the things that he's called for us are secondary after the fact that we are truly worshiping God and, and, and for who he is and for how glorious he is. Does that make sense? And so Isaiah gets this real clear picture like you're getting ready to go on a 50-year journey. You're going to be prophesying to a nation who probably doesn't want to hear what you're going to say because you don't have a very pleasing message. And in order to do that, you better remember that don't ever lose sight of how important continuing to worship me and to, and to see how glorious of a king I am is. And don't just get busy going out and doing, doing, doing and, and neglect the time of worship and prayer that you need to stay built up and to stay strong for all of the duties and the assignments that I have for you. And we have to learn from that as well. We all have a calling and a destiny. And if we're going to walk in that in fullness, we can't get sidelined. We can't get sidetracked. We can't, oh, you know, not forget to spend time with God or let that begin to take a back seat in our lives because we just get so busy. Folks, really, can we afford to be that busy? I mean, can we? No, you know, we have to see that God is the source of our strength. He's the source of our power and everything that we need. And if we're not treating worshiping, serving, and spending time with him as our top priority, it'll be impossible to carry out the duties and the assignments and the tasks that he has for us that require us to go forth in a place of being built up and strengthened and having that empowerment from having spent time with him and worshiping him because he's deserving of that. Amen? Um, so these seraphim that he sees, it, it, apparently, according to a lot of theologians, they're like the highest ranking order of angels that there are. There's different types of angels that we see throughout the Bible. Um, we see another type of angel that's called a cherubim, which apparently they only have like two wings. But you've got the seraphim, you've got the cherubim. Cherubim were actually sent to guard the Garden of Eden after God drove man out after the fall, it says he sent cherubim to guard on each side of the gate of the Garden of Eden with flaming swords. So these are angelic creatures. There's this amazing, glorious picture that we're seeing here of the throne room in heaven that, that Isaiah is gazing upon. And, and his response that he sees to this is that he becomes what he refers to as undone. Undone. He's basically, in our terms, he's wrecked because he sees this picture of a holy God. He peers into the throne room of heaven. You've got the holy of holies. You've got the altar there where the coals are burning. You've got these seraphim, angelic creatures, which that, by the way, means the burning one. They're actually burning with fire and passion and zeal for serving and worshiping the Lord. He's seeing all this, and all he can do is Say, woe to me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. See, he recognizes when he's face to face with the glorious picture of a holy God, he really begins to see how unworthy, how sinful that he really is and how the people that he walks among are. And he feels like, I have no place here, God. I don't deserve this. You are too grand and you are too glorious. Can I say something to you? If any of us were to sit before and see the vision of what Isaiah saw, if we peered into something so holy as the throne room, 
room of God, we would all have the same response. But we walk among the world in the fallen world, and sometimes we forget about how fortunate, how blessed we are, how thankful we ought to be that we've been redeemed and that we actually are made worthy to stand before a king and to receive his blessing and to have the inheritance from his son and walk in victory and a purpose and a destiny over the things of the world. Folks, I think that we all probably would benefit from gazing into a glorious picture like this on a regular basis so that we're reminded of our brokenness, of our humanness, and all of us of our need of a perfect Savior who comes forth to set us free, redeem us, and send us on a divine mission. And Isaiah sees it. He says, I'm wrecked. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't even deserve to be here. But what does God do? What happens next? It says that the seraphim picks up a coal from the altar with the tongs, takes it over, and touches Isaiah's lips with it, burns his lips. It says, your sin has been purged. So what's amazing is that this is actually very prophetic of what is yet to come through the work of the Messiah, right? Now, when he says your sin is purged because the tongs from the altar have touched your lips, he's not saying, this isn't salvation the way that we know it when Christ comes to live on the inside of us because Christ hasn't completed his work. In fact, Christ is actually sitting on the throne right now. He hasn't got down from the throne to come and be born into a virgin birth yet and do the work. But this is prophetic because he's seeing a picture of the altar, the coal, his sin is being purged with the touching of his lips, which means to burn, you know, and that's a fire that means to purge out. And he's saying, now you are ready, you are qualified, you are worthy to go forth on a divine assignment and do the work which I'm sending you to do. He goes from a place of being fully unqualified and unworthy, but because God has a perfect solution to send men to do divine work, he touches his lips with the coal from the altar, purges his sin, and says, now go forth and do what I'm calling you to do. And, and this, this picture of the altar where the coal comes from, listen, It says that when Jesus got done on the cross doing the work that he did, that he went into the holy of holies with his blood. See, that altar, hang with me, that altar was was an altar down on earth where in the temple they would bring forth every year and make a sacrifice for the atonement of sin of the people. And God, in a very, in a very profound way, would, it would, would forgive the sins of the people from that sacrifice, but it was a time of forbearance, which was God's mercy of waiting until the perfect sacrifice would come, which was Jesus. And when he came and he spilled his blood on the cross and he died and he ascended into heaven, it says that he took his blood, he went into that throne room, and he put it on that altar, on that mercy seat, and that was the forgiveness of sin once and for all and forever. And that was the coal that came from that altar that he touched Isaiah's lips with and said, your sin is purged. Now you are ready. You are qualified. Isn't this amazing? So what does that mean, folks? What does that mean? It means that we don't deserve a divine calling. We don't deserve all of this favor and this blessing and this supernatural empowerment 
But because there is a holy, merciful God who loves us so much that He made a way that He sent His Son that we go from a place of being unworthy to actually being cleansed and purged of our brokenness, of our sinfulness, and we are made qualified by that work to go forth and do something divine and divinely led in our lives for God. Isn't that powerful? And Isaiah is seeing this, and he says he touched his lips, and, uh, and, and, and he began to be qualified to go forth. And it says after that, that uh, God says now after this, he says, who will go for us? Who will go for us? Now, I think this is unbelievable. Because he's got this guy, Isaiah, this man, this sinful man who walks among sinful men. And he's asking, he's saying, we need it. we've got an assignment. We need to send somebody. And he's saying that in the midst of these heavenly creatures with six wings. And they've got all kinds of eyes on them, it says in the Bible. And all these different things. He's got... All these angels and these angelic creatures, and he's saying, who can we send? And Isaiah says, send me. And he says, okay, go. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were taking bets, and I'm not a betting man, I would imagine that the six-winged creatures who can fly and who can hold swords of fire guarding the Garden of Eden, they would probably be a little bit better for heavenly assignments. <laughs> Just saying. Look, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. And he somehow chooses among all of these angelic creatures a divine mission to send a sinful yet purged man. Wow. There are angelic assignments and there are our assignments. God sees fit to invite us into his service. Hallelujah. He sees fit to extend an invitation to say, I've got heavenly work that needs to be done. I've got a kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not a king that you serve. You see, that king, Uzziah, he died, but I'm still on the throne. See, I'm still reigning. I'm unthreatened in the place that I sit. Kings will come and kings will go. Men will rise and men will fall, but the king of kings will never, will never refrain from his rulership over the universe. And he says... He invites us into his service. He doesn't force it over us. He doesn't make us go and do what he's calling us to do. He extends an invitation. He says, I want to invite you to step into a divine calling, a divine destiny to do great and mighty things. I'm going to empower you through the spirit of my, what my son did. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to, to cleanse you, to empower you, to go forth and to do this work, even though you don't deserve it. You're not, it's not something that you earn. You can't go out and achieve it. This is simply a free gift. And if you'll accept that and you'll rise to the calling, 
then I will bless you and I will empower you to go out and do great and mighty things which you cannot possibly know and you could not possibly do on your own. Isn't that amazing? And so, and so, and so Isaiah, he goes forth. Now listen, he, he is not unfamiliar. Like He recognizes the difficulty, guys, in the challenge that he's about ready to undertake. I mean, he knows when it, when it comes to going and preaching a message of repentance and, and turning away from sin to all these kings and these, this nation, like he's got to know this is not like at the top of the list of the assignments that we're all just going to run and sign up for. Like, you know the way you're all going to go and sign up for the Christmas Eve committee afterwards right here? You're going to be running to do that? This is not like that. This is not one of those kind of assignments that, that people would just be running to do. And, and, but yet Isaiah, he, he, he rises up. In fact, he shrinks down kind of in his unworthiness before a holy God and before this glorious picture of the throne room. But yet he rises up and ascends strongly and boldly into an opportunity to accept a divine call and to go forth and carry it out. See, guys, when it comes to the things God is calling us to do, there are they're rarely going to, to match up with what we see as our abilities or, or our talents. It's rarely going to look like, oh, that just makes sense. I can go do that. It's not going to look pretty all the time. And sometimes it's going to look like it will be uncomfortable. But I'll tell you this. I would rather be in a place of discomfort but to know that I've been sent there by my Father in heaven than to be in a place where I am totally comfortable and inside my box of walls of comfort, but to know that I ought to be somewhere else. Amen? And Isaiah, he just says, he just rises up to the challenge and he says, send me. Send me. I will go. And folks, I just want to close with this thought for you today. Are you sendable? Are you sendable? Because, see, many times we have responses that are different than what Isaiah's was. When God pulls at our heart, when he tugs at us, when he speaks to us in our dreams or in our prayers, whatever it may be, he whispers in that still, small voice and says, go, do this. I have this for you. I've prepared this for you. Instead of saying, like Isaiah says, send me, a lot of times we say, I can't, I won't send somebody else, right? Am I sendable? Am I sendable? God is looking for those who are sendable. He's not looking for you to have the ability. He has that. He's going to put that in you, and he's going to give that to you. He's just looking for those that will see how amazing and how glorious he is, that are redeemed by his son that will say, God, I will go and I will serve you with my life. I will do whatever you've called me to do. I'm not qualifying myself because you've already qualified me, thankfully. God, I'm not putting faith in my own abilities. I'm putting faith in the abilities that you have put in me. He's looking for those who will go and move forward trusting and knowing that he will provide and take care of us every step of the way. You know, Isaiah spent all these years 
speaking of all these things. And he never actually saw them come to pass. I thought about this a lot here at the end of my preparation for this. I mean, it would have been nice to at least be able to say, I told you so. <laughs> you know, I'm just a man. I'm, I'm admitting it. Um, but he had all these prophetic visions and, and these warnings and these heatings, and, and, and they didn't really listen to him, you know. They didn't really do what he was saying. And then eventually, all the things that he said began to come to pass. By all accounts, there really wasn't much that you could calculate or tabulate in terms of earthly rewards that seemed to really just continue to be there for Isaiah for what he was doing. In fact, it just kind of got more and more difficult. But I will say this. I am quite convinced that there is a glorious crown for Isaiah in eternity. What's your standard of where the rewards come from? You see, the Bible talks about we don't want to build up earthly treasure that decays, that we're to build up heavenly treasure. And I just want you to know, when you go forth for God, when you go on a divine assignment, when you're walking in your calling, it's not probably going to always be easy, and there's probably going to be great difficulties. And much of the work that we do in His service, our reward is on the other side. When we get there, I promise you, according to the written word of God, we're going to be so glad that it is the way it is. But on this side of heaven, we have to detach ourselves from any necessity of having those rewards, of having, you know, this is going to have to work out for me. This is going to have to be comfortable. This is going to have to be, it's going to have to all really line up to where I can conveniently do this. It's probably never going to be convenient when it comes to the assignments that God is going to send you on. But it's going to be heavenly. And it's going to be purposeful. Hallelujah. And there's going to be a reward. There's going to be a crown, the Bible says, for us prepared that we'll see on the other side. It's a glorious picture that I, quite frankly, can only barely gaze into, but it speaks to my spirit and it strengthens my spirit when I even get a taste of what that will look like. And I long for and I anticipate the, the day that comes when we get to the other side and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I wanted to send you and you went. I wanted to send you and you were available. You were sendable and you fulfilled the work which I commissioned you to do. And as a result, my kingdom was built and expanded. Not a man's kingdom, not some man's stuff, but your Father in heaven's kingdom was advanced and built through the work that you did because you were willing to go and my spirit was empowering you along the way. Stand to your feet with me today. I just want to pray for us this morning that, you know, you say, if you look at Isaiah, you say, well, okay, am I sendable based on some of the things that I see from him? Well, first of all, am I a man? Yeah. Am I unworthy? Do I need a savior? Yeah. Am I cleansed by the blood of Jesus? 
I hope that you've made that decision. If not, we'll pray today and then you, and then you can. And then the last thing is, am I willing to sacrifice my own needs, my own desires, so that I can serve a higher purpose of what God's called me to do? Am I willing to lay down my life so that I may gain it, right? And Isaiah, he fit all those qualifications. Is that where we are? Are we sendable? Father, I thank you in Jesus' name today that you have a mission, a a destiny prepared for each and every one of us, Lord. You've got great and mighty things for us to do. And I ask you that you just begin to speak in each and every one of us here today. Tug at our heart. Help us to gaze upon your glory, upon your brilliance, upon your majesty in any kind of way, Lord, through your written word and through visions and dreams, much like what Isaiah was able to see. And help us to go forth with a boldness and an aggression, Lord, that just says we're going to serve you with everything that we've got. In Jesus' name I pray. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus. I've never really given my life to him. I've never receive this free gift of grace like you speak about of forgiveness of sin but I want to I want to receive it today I want to turn from my old life I want to turn away from what I've known and I want to turn toward him and I want to serve him and I want to go do heavenly things if that's you on the count of three I just want you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you today and God will meet you right where you are On the count of three, one, two, three. If that's you, just raise your hand and I will pray for you. And it's not about prayer or words. It's just free gift of grace that we have because of the work that Jesus did. Is there anybody here today? All right. Awesome. Well, God is good. Amen. Amen. Go forth in boldness and know that you have a purpose and a destiny and God is with you every step of the way. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll never abandon you. You can count on him. He will always be by your side. And he loves you. And I think that when it comes to us really walking in what the fullness of our purpose looks like, as awesome as that seems and sounds and as thrilling as that appears that it will be I think that our father in heaven is even more thrilled when he sees his children walking in their purpose than what we even are as a parent I know that I think I it it pleases my heart more when my kids do great things than probably they even get excited about I think our father in heaven looks down on us and I think it's the same way as exciting and as exhilarating as serving God and living for God can be. I think our Heavenly Father is sitting up there beaming with just pride for us and a smile on His face. I think it pleases Him more than we could ever know. Amen. Awesome. Have a beautiful day. God bless you. Enjoy the beautiful weather, and we will see you next week.